wasn't long after I was saved that I had a desire to study the Word of God, and through a chain of events and disappointments, I ended up in a small Bible school in northern Ontario where I met my beloved. And uh, the Lord has worked in mysterious ways in our lives as he has in yours. But one question I had as a new Christian was this idea of suffering for the Lord. I didn't know anything about that. And I remember on one occasion asking a, a man that I dearly esteemed in the Lord, I said, what, what is this suffering for the Lord? I said, since I got saved, my life's just been completely turned around. I've, I've got such a, a good life. Uh, the Lord has so blessed me in so many ways, and I just, I, I, I don't know what it is, uh, this, this idea of suffering. Everything has been so much better for me in every way. And, and being a very wise man, he just said, well, son, just don't worry about that, he said. Just keep living for the Lord, he said. Little did I know that the first recognition of suffering would come from that same man a few years later. And the scripture seems to be full of suffering for the believer, but it seems to be always from without persecution and standing up for what is right and uh, martyr, martyrdom and you know and I don't know too many of us I know it's happening in the world but I don't know of too many of us in North America that have resisted to that point or had to in that point But it is given you in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. If I were in another country where Christians are being persecuted and imprisoned and abused and used, uh, who would I be from North America to preach a message on suffering? What would I know? about suffering. I know nothing really about it. But I do know this. There is a cost for following the Lord. Most of the time it seems to come from within rather than from without. I don't know what's going to uh, happen in North America. I don't know what's going to happen in the United States of America. Probably 15 years ago now, I had the privilege of sharing a platform with Mr. John Phillips, who many of you will know as a renowned Bible teacher and commentator. And I asked him on that occasion, I said, Mr. Phillips, I said, what do you think is going to happen to North America in the end times? Is it mentioned in prophecy? Do we see anything? Do we know anything about what can we expect? 
He said, my prediction is that North America will go bankrupt. He said, that some rich country will bail us out and we won't even be a world power anymore. I thought that was rather ridiculous 15 years ago at the time. But it seems as though that's quite, you know, it just might be an option now. I don't know. But one thing I know, life will most likely not continue as it is. If I were going to be a prophet, I'd be the first one to get stoned because nothing I'd say would come true, you know. But I, I, I will make a prediction. I don't know when and I don't know how, but I suspect that the very things that we take for granted today will be slowly taken away from us one by one, and we'd better prepare ourselves for that. Our suffering, perhaps most of your suffering, has come from maybe financial or relationships or health, and we suffer, but I'm not sure that that's necessarily suffering for the Lord. It is common to all men. The, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, and mankind has trials and problems and adversities. However, the scriptures also would remind us that whoever would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It may be from your own family. It may be from your own friends. It could be from brothers and sisters in Christ. It can be and might be from without. Who knows what lies ahead? But it's part of the Christian's journey. And uh, again, I would know nothing about to any degree of suffering for the Lord Jesus. Um, we should, if if I could put it this way, I want to be careful. When you suffer for righteousness, when you've done nothing wrong and you suffer for that, happy are ye. <laughs> you see, it is at that point that you are most identified with the Lord Jesus. You're never more like Christ in that sense of suffering than when you suffer for righteousness. Oh, not for your own faults or stupidity or wrong decisions or mistakes that we know. It's like the thief on the cross said to the other one, we're here because of what we've done and it's right that we're here, but this man's done nothing wrong, nothing amiss. And so suffering is a part. We're gonna talk about that suffering tonight a little bit in the context of the soldier and what he encounters and how that separation is part of the suffering that you and I must endure as good soldiers. Let me read again for you. We're gonna read every session of the seven verses from 2 Timothy chapter two, beginning in verse one. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may 
please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruit. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Now, in a little outline that, that you have, um, we're in the third part of the outline, covering verses 3 and 4. My suffering for the master as I go on. Now, these tonight and the next two message following will go something like this. We'll talk about the suffering of the soldier in light of his separation, and that'll be tonight. And then in the next message, we're going to talk about striving for the crown. As the soldier speaks to us of separation, the, the striving for the crown speaks to us of obedience. We hit on this a little bit the other night. Yeah, or, or my goodness, that was at night or day, I forget. But in one of the messages about uh, obeying the Lord, that the Lord has a plan and uh, God's work is to be done God's way. And we'll talk a little bit about that, that you don't receive the crown unless you strive lawfully, and that is in obedience to the Lord and to his word. And then as we talk about uh, the sweat for the fruit, we're going to talk about hard work. So we got... We've got the soldier, we've got the athlete, and we've got the farmer. And each speaking to us in some specific way about how we conduct ourselves as we go on. Strong in the grace, working out the strategy uh, in many areas, but in this particular area, passing the baton, uh, discipling, uh, setting the example, uh, leaving a, a good legacy behind. And tonight, the idea of separation, separation. So let me read that verse again for you uh, in verse number three, those two verses. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Just let me pause and say that in 1963, when I uh, graduated from high school, the Vietnam draft was on. Uh, or the draft was on and many of the guys that uh, were drafted went to, went to Vietnam. Um, I certainly didn't want to go to Vietnam. Uh, you hear, we heard all kind of horror stories about that, so I joined the reserves or the National Guard that was in our area. And I went off to boot camp and <clears throat> I didn't know anything. I was 17 years old. Uh, I was the only one for about 45 minutes on a huge bus. I got on by myself, and they were picking up people as we were rolling along. And uh, we picked up a bus full of people of whom I knew no one. I just know that when I got out of that uh, bus, they put us in what they call, the Army calls a two, deuce and a half uh, personnel carrier. And uh, we, I had two big bags and a carry-on bag, and when they opened the tailgate on that thing, I landed down in Fort Polk, Louisiana. There was a black man who was the sergeant in charge down there. He looked what I considered or thought in my mind Goliath must have looked like, and uh, nine feet tall and this one and everything. And uh, he was not very nice talking when, when the tailgate dropped on that truck 
And those bags that before I couldn't even pick up, they were so heavy, I was flicking these things around and trying to say yes, sir, at the same time. And uh, you're in the Army now. <laughs> and boy, I knew it, let me tell you. And uh, six months, or uh, boot camp down there, I forget how many weeks there, and then I went up to Fort Knox, Kentucky to do some armor training. But my, what's my point? I, I, I saw a lot of soldiers. In, in what we would call basic training, six months, okay? I shudder to think that at the end of that six months, some of those guys went to Vietnam because I know how much training they had because I was right beside them. I went home, they went to Vietnam. I, I shudder to think what would have happened to those boys. Some of them never knew anything, grew up in city life, never held a firearm, never was under anybody's authority in their whole life. You get six months of training and they're gone. One thing I noticed, I saw a lot of soldiers. I didn't see too many good ones. Soldiers who actually cared that they were there. Soldiers who actually were willing to obey orders. Complained, and belly ached, and argued, and, and on and on and on the list went. It was obvious that they didn't want to be there. Let me remind you that you were not drafted into the Lord's army. You enlisted, okay? And that we are to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. One of the things that's required of a soldier is to endure hardness. I certainly include myself when I make this statement. Most of us want it better than Christ. We, we don't want the life he had. I mean, rejected by his very own, much less the crowds that sought him for food and other things that really didn't want him. The religious elements, the government, everything really turned against him. And how many of us have not thought of this? He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he endured the cross. He went all the way. The admonition for us tonight, even though we may not have resisted unto blood yet, brothers and sisters, it could come. It could come. It seems that in history, the persecuted church always thrives. Perhaps we need it. I don't know. I shudder to think that we would have to make decisions about our families, our spouses, our homes, our properties, our vocations. It just could be that we will face those dilemmas sooner than we think. Good soldiers endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he might please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. <clears throat> The scriptures now are liking 
the soldier's um, context as a battlefield or as a war. No man that warreth. Perhaps we don't get up in the morning and think of it like this. The man that led me to the Lord told me, he said, when you, when you wake up in the morning, I want you to remember that this is the day the devil wants to destroy your life. I, I, I must say that for probably a year, I woke up every morning and I thought, this is the day the devil wants to destroy my life. You know what? As soon as I quit thinking that, my guard is down. As soon as I stop ignoring the warnings of Scripture, the devil doesn't take any days off. He, he's relentless. He may or may not understand Scripture like we do. I know he's a spirit being, but he is a fallen creature too. And remember something, the Scriptures are spiritually discerned and he doesn't have the spirit, Okay. So he's got a lot of intellect, and uh, he, he's had a lot of experience. But just how much of this he actually knows and discerns, I don't know. But I know this, he's at war against God and against God's people. That we know. And he's trying every possible means that he has to destroy anything that is right or godly or righteous, including the people of God. So the world that we live in, the, the everyday environment that I grow up in, that I serve the Lord in, that you serve the Lord in, that is a battlefield. Get it in your head. This is a battlefield. This is not a playground. And if I go out to play rather than go out to battle, I've, I, I, I'm vulnerable. I'm a target. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not... Uh, you know, uh, put it in perspective. Let's suppose that our soldiers now, wherever they may be, from the Middle East to wherever, a, a soldier just doesn't get up in the morning and say, well, I wonder what's going on back home today, you know. I, if I was home, I'd be playing golf today, you know. Or uh, I, I wonder what the price of gas is in Northern California now. I, I, uh, I wonder what's going on in the political arena back there now, you know. They cannot allow themselves to be caught up in the civilian life to the point that it distracts them from the battle or, or the enemy that they're engaged with. It would be foolish. It would be absolutely ridiculous. You're in the army now. You're overseas now. You're fighting on foreign soil now. The enemy's over there. I'm here. There is a lot of danger that is going on, and I must keep focused. No one that engages in warfare entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. That is, the civil, uh, in, in the illustration, the civil compared to the military. And our application of this, of course, it is the spiritual um, compared to our secular lives, our physical lives, our, our everyday living in the world life. The problem is if we get so involved in the everyday life and the amusement and the stock markets and the sticks and the bricks of life that it starts hindering our view or cramping our, our style or, 
or uh, in some way keeping us from being focused on the things of the Lord. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. So the soldier speaks to us of separation. He's got to be separated. I'll give you a few points in a moment why I feel that it's so dangerous for him if he does not have that mindset. But go back with me just for a moment to Romans chapter 1. Just tucked away in the introductory verse of Romans chapter 1, uh, I believe is a, is a great fundamental truth about separation. Notice Romans 1 and verse 1. Paul the Apostle writes this, A servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God. The very first thing that he mentions in his epistle to the Romans is that there is the need for us to understand that something has gone on in our life and in our heart the very moment that we trusted Christ as our Savior a servant called to be an apostle separated under the gospel of God. Uh, the word sanctified or separated um, car carries with it the thought of being set apart. That's all, just set apart. Um, I, I could sanctify that hymn book sitting on that chair right there if I wanted to. I could, I could walk down there, I could get the hymn book, I could bring it up here, I could set it apart for a special purpose. I could give it to Bill, and I could say, Bill, this hymn book is going to be for the song leader for the rest of the week, and you use just this hymn book. Well, there may be dozens of hymn books out here, but that one could be set apart for a special service or for some recognition for something a little bit different. Well, well, the scriptures tell us that when we trust Christ as our Savior, we're born again, we're new creations, we are positionally different. <clears throat> I, I had a position before. Um, I, I, was, I was in a position where I was in a category of those that were sinful and separated from God. Well, by the grace of God, the gospel came. And I embraced the gospel by grace and through faith. I trusted Christ as my Savior. And, and now I'm taken from my old position, which was in Adam, sinful and separated from God, and placed into my new position, into spiritually, positionally, into the body of Christ. I didn't feel that. There was nothing physical about it. But I had, <coughs> excuse me, I had a new position. I, I, I'm a child of God now. M many things change. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. That is, I've got a, a, a new standing before God, separated. You know, if you're separated from something, you're separated to something. So I'm separated from my old position, but I'm separated to a new position. And now guess what? I get the privilege of living that out in my life now. I get the privilege of living up to my name. 
A soldier was being interviewed by Alexander the Great for misbehavior, and he stood before the commander's desk, and he, Alexander the Great said to him, what is your name? Stumbling and stammering, he said, sir, my, my name is Alexander. He said, then either change your name or change your behavior, dismiss. He, he didn't want a soldier in his army bearing his name, conducting himself the way that he did. We call ourselves Christians. You make the application. Not hard. Do, do, do I? Does my name, does my position that I have does my conduct match that position? The little phrase, does your walk match your talk? I'm separated unto, separated from. Separation is a big deal. Uh, you know, in the old battleground, Second Corinthians chapter 6, you know, uh, it talks about if if you do these things, if you come out from among them, if you are separate, I will be a father unto you. Well, we know he's our father. What's he talking about? We will enjoy being father and son and father and daughter. You will uh, experience a fellowship and a oneness in my presence with you that you cannot feel if you're not separated. So we, gotta, we, we have a job. Our job is to live up to our name. Our job is to honor the one who has chosen us to be a soldier, to please him. It's tough. I know it's tough. Um, but remember what the Lord Jesus went through. Let's look at our verse again. No man that warreth entangleth himself. Um, I'm not sure about this. Maybe you can help me afterwards. I think the word is used only two places um, in the New Testament, the word entangleth, it's found in 2 Peter 2. It, it, it could be, I'm not dogmatic about this, it might be used somewhere else, but that's, that's the warning that Peter gave. You remember if, if, if someone in, was um, delivered from uh, certain things and embraced uh, and had a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and assimilated the Christian life, and then got entangled again with the world. Peter said it'd be better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn away from the holy commandments delivered to them. Uh, but, but, but nevertheless, this word entangled here, as far as I can tell, uh, ha has the concept of, of weaving we like, like a, a, tap a tapestry. And, and how it might be woven, a beautiful picture, and how uh, you take one thread at a time and weave it in. It's it, it just sort of little by little. Um, th th this thing is subtle. Um, you can start off by rationalizing your life of separation, by justifying your actions, by somehow excusing uh, things that once were wrong, that now we accept. Uh, I, I'm just, I, I'm appalled at myself. 
uh, of how that things that were once seemed so black and white to me don't seem black and white anymore. And you know what it is? It is that little everyday allowing the world to infiltrate our lives and our thinking till we start thinking like the world and not thinking like the Lord anymore. If, if we spend more time watching television than we do reading our Bible, guess what you're going to think like? You're going to think like the media and the world and, and not like the Lord. We, we, must, we must allow the Spirit of God to work in our life we must allow him to work on us, and the way we do that is by exposing ourselves to the things of God and primarily to his word, exposing ourselves to that, allowing the spirit of God to work that in our life, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed How? by the renewing of the mind. Well, Newton might have figured out what goes up will come down, but the Bible says what comes in goes out. And we got to be careful what we put in. It will affect our life. Entangled, weaved in. Uh, I'm reminded of Psalm 1, how that uh, the scriptures uh, admonish us this way. Blessed is the man that, and you notice the progression, that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, that standeth not in the way of uh, sinners that sits not in the seat of the scornful. Just notice the progression. He's walking, then he's standing, and then he's sitting. <laughs> That's what happens. We shouldn't, he shouldn't have been walking where he was to start with. He, he should not have been walking in the counsel of the ungodly. When you have trouble, where do you go? Oh, well, let's uh, go to a counselor. Uh, let's go to a bank if it's financial. Uh, let's go to a doctor if it's health. I'm not against any of those things, primarily. But is that your first response? Our first response should be the Lord and the Word of God. He might use a bank. He might use a counselor. He might use a doctor. We're not against those things. But it must be our first response to go to him who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful. What's happening? Weaving is taking place. The things of this world are being woven into the, the very fabric of our lives to the point that we don't realize it. We don't realize what's happening. The picture of our life is changing right before us. And the way we are thinking is changing. It's slow. It's like erosion. No tree suddenly falls. No student suddenly fails. No marriage suddenly dissolves. Just a little bit at a time, you know, just little by little by little. That's the reason we're admonished to keep short accounts. We have known Conviction by the Spirit of God in our life, don't put it off. Give in. Give up. Admit it. Confess it. Forsake it. Thank God for his forgiveness. But if we get so entangled to the things of this world that it's affecting our spiritual walk with the Lord, that's a wake-up call. And it might even be too late.
So why should I not be involved in the affairs of this life? Just from the soldier's point of view, let me give you a few thoughts. From a soldier's point of view, number one, if a soldier is distracted from the battle that he is in, it could cost him personally. His own life might be in danger physically. If he goes to sleep on his watch or if he takes his duty lightly or if he's not on guard or if he's not obeying orders, all kinds of things can happen and it could happen to him personally. Secondly, it could be dangerous for his friends, the platoon that he's in, perhaps even for the company that he represents. It could be if the enemy breaks through, if I don't hold, my friends will be in danger. And thirdly, it could be dangerous to his country. You know, one man can lose a war. A, a war can overcome a country. One king can overcome another king. One country, another country, if only one soldier. And we, we are so naive to think, oh, it's just me. It's not bothering anybody else. Please listen to me. It is not just you. Um, it, it may be dangerous for you physically. It may be dangerous for, for your friends in the military with you. It could be dangerous for the very country that you represent. But spiritually thinking, think about this. There are no lone rangers in the body, okay? You're not some unique individual that is not a part of the body. So, yes, the things of this world can affect you, and, 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 they, and they certainly do personally, but they also can affect those that you're in fellowship with. Do I dare say what I think? Could it be possible that because of individual sin, which affects our assemblies, no wonder we're so weak. Are there skeletons in the closet? Are there secret sins that you think only affect you and no one else? Dear friend, I can tell you it affects more than you. Definitely affects you. It's a little leaven, you know. And the next thing you know, it's permeated. Someone else picks up on something. I mean, how many times as we were raising our children did they make this statement to us? Well, Dad, other Christians can do that. Allowing ourselves or our family to engage in activities that may or may not be black and white, but the testimony is wrong. It's not something you'd want everybody in the assembly to do. And I'm not going to get into specifics here because uh, uh, everybody's got their own argument as to how they live their life. But the testimony is the problem here. And, and if my kids say, Dad, well, those Christians and that family, they do those things and there's nothing wrong for them to do. Why is it wrong for us? Because we're not that family. And, and, and let me assure you that whatever you do affects the testimony. Where do, you, where, where, do, where do you gather? Well, I go to such and such Bible chapel. Let me tell you, that assembly is no stronger than its weakest member. They're out there, and that testimony is out there, and whatever that person does, it reflects on that assembly. And ultimately, it reflect, reflects on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So what I do as an individual, separating myself, counting the cost, fighting the good fight, enduring hardness, all of that stuff, ultimately reflects on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to be careful. Personally, locally, nationally, spiritually speaking. Let me give you some scripture now and some things that, a little list here, that the things of this world can do what the scriptures say they can do. Number one, the things of this world can keep you from trusting Christ as your savior. The, the rich young ruler came, did he not? He evaluated what he had. He evaluated the answer the Lord Jesus Christ gave him when he said, what have I got to do to have eternal life? And he thought, well, that's more than I'm willing to pay. And the things of this world kept that young man, that man, I don't know how old he was. We call him the rich young ruler, but how old he was, I don't know. But it kept him from trusting the Lord. The scriptures are very clear. He went away sad. Why? Because he had great possessions. He went away sad. Things of this world can keep you from trusting the Lord Jesus. How about the parable of the sower? Luke gives us a, a real hint when he says that was by the wayside, the preposition sort of tip it off, by the wayside, on the rock, among the thorns, but in the good ground. And among the thorns, what was that? Well, it was the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. People make a profession, people make an identification, but there's no evidence in their life that it's real and the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. They bring no fruit to perfection. Here's another one. The things of this life can keep you from knowing the will of God. Be not conformed to this world, in Romans 12, 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you might know that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If I'm so engaged in the world, spending more time studying the world, spending more time living for the world than I am studying my Bible and living for Jesus Christ, I'm not going to know the will of God. It will keep me from knowing it. Here's another one. The things of this life can keep you from being a good example or a witness for the Lord Jesus. Uh, Peter tells us that Lot was a righteous man. I suppose if he hadn't have recorded that, I wouldn't really believe it. There was very little evidence. Nevertheless, uh, he tried to warn his, his sons-in-laws. They mocked him. Why? Because his witness was no good. He was more involved in Sodom than he was in the things of God. And when he tried to warn them. I mean, how many times have you heard the story? And so have I. A Christian backslidden in the world, living for the world, realizes the danger of what's going, going to happen to his family or his friends. And he says, you better not do that. And they say, who are you? Who are you telling me? that I better not do something. It destroys 
your witness. Can keep you from serving the Lord, the things of this world. Paul puts it like this. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I suppose I can make a list tonight. I don't desire to do so. Of those who were once known teachers, evangelists, elders, deacons, workers, missionaries, Sunday school teachers, they're no longer. Because the things of this life wove themselves into the fabric of that person. And they're shelved today. Any person in this room can be a statistic next year. Don't think you can't. And let me not think I won't be. It can happen. No one's exempt. It is by grace that we are here. Now the things of this world can keep God's love from being in you. The commandment in, in 1 John 2.15, if anyone loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love the world and love God. You can't serve two masters. You, you'll love one and hate the other. You cannot. And the things of this life can keep you, can keep the love of the Father from being in you. Uh, the things of this world will count you as an enemy toward God. Um, James tells us that friendship with the world is enmity, conflict, war with God the, the, the things of this world can keep you from being in fellowship with the Lord uh, 2 Corinthians 6 again 14 and forward um, come out from among them and be separate says the Lord this thing goes on and on we know that we have by grace a position at salvation we know that we have the opportunity by the grace of God to live out that position we grow in grace and truth we mature along the way there, there are things that I would have done as a new believer that I wouldn't do now but it didn't bother me as a new believer I had other things that I was dealing with at that point. And as we progress in our life, we're to be more and more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. That's our, that's our goal. That should be our desire, is to represent him. It's tough. You go to school and your other schoolmates don't appreciate you being a Christian necessarily. You go to work, they don't appreciate it. You can even go to some youth groups where most of the kids are not serious. A few are. And those few that are are so pressured by the negative peer pressure of the group, it's hard for them to go on for the Lord. If we're not careful, you raise your children to be entertained. Oh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll endure a 15-minute devotion as long as we can play games tonight. We're not against playing games. Kids ought to have fun. But life is not all fun. There's work, and there's hardships, and there's taking a stand for Christ, and there's separation from the world around us. I, I never was a Christian when I was a child. I didn't, as I told you before, was 
right before my 25th birthday, I had been through enough stuff that I didn't really care anymore when I got saved what anybody else thought. But it is hard for young people who have the peer pressure of all of their friends and some of them confessing Christians to separate themselves and to be sold out for the Lord. It's hard for them. My, my, my question is, just in closing, is why should I do this? Why should I want to be a soldier that has to endure hardness? Why, why should I want to separate myself? Why should I want to be different at school or at work? Why should I want to serve Jesus Christ and not invest my time and energy and effort in the things of this world? Why should I take my resources and put it into the work of God and not Wall Street? Why? Well, the verse has the answer, you know. So that I might please the one who's chosen me to be a soldier. If the reason you're living your Christian life the way that you are, and to some degree you're paying for that, you're suffering for that, if you're doing that to please your wife, it's going to be very disappointing. Or your husband. Or even your elders. Or even the com Christian community. See, ultimately, it comes down to one thing. You've got to be more afraid of God than man. I, I think there's a lot of disappointment in assemblies today with the, with the whole doctrine of separation. We know one day we'll be ultimately separated. We know that. Thank God for that. But we're living it out right now. And you know what? In some places, it's not cool to practice New Testament principles anymore. Not even accepted. Why? Why would I do it? Why would you do it? <laughs> you, you folks make it hard for me because I, I think most of you are really committed Christians. Maybe all of you. And, and no way do I want to discourage you. But let me just encourage you. You do it for Jesus. That's why you do it. Do it for him. And you don't necessarily do it to get a reward, okay? You know why you do it? Because you love him. He's won your heart. He doesn't have to shout a commandment to you like a drill sergeant. Your ear is tuned to his voice. As David's mighty man, as their ear was tuned to the voice of the king, he didn't have to make commands. They couldn't wait for an opportunity to do something for David. Why? They loved him. They loved David. They'd do anything for David. They'd love to please the king. Is that your motive? Is that mine? I don't even know my motives sometimes. I'm not even capable of figuring them out. That's my desire. And I hope to God tonight that as good soldiers, we'll just go on and do it for the king, just for the master, just for the one who bought us, just for the one that we have the privilege of serving, of loving, of taking side. Run up the flag. 
Let them know whose team you're on. For Christ's sake. Let's pray. Father, it's absolutely incredible that you'd even want to work with us. We're at best unfaithful servants. But some way, somehow, in your plan, in your divine decrees, you've allowed us to be laborers together with you. And Father, as none of us as men would ever want to misrepresent our wives or our families, we certainly don't want to misrepresent you. We don't want people looking at us and saying, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want to be a Christian. We want people to watch us and to notice that there's a difference a difference that they desire because it's the right thing. That if we're created for God's glory, then when people look at us, they ought to want to know what is God like. We should somehow reflect the person of Jesus Christ in our life. And so, Lord, as we think about enduring hardness as we think about suffering as a soldier as we think about the necessary separation that comes in the soldier's life may it comfort our heart to know that no matter where we go how far how dark how hard the most comforting words this side of heaven is the captain of our salvation says I'm with you be not dismayed. I'm your God. You can't run me off. We're going through this together. Father, thank you for that encouragement. And may we indeed be good soldiers that endure hardness for Christ's sake.